And if you would please be opening up to Nehemiah chapter 10. We're actually going to pick up in the end of chapter 9, verse 38 of chapter 9, because it really sets uh, what chapter 10 is about with the firm covenant that they wrote. But let's, let's venture into understanding how God in building a healthy spirituality wants us to be committed to obedience. The Lord wants that for us, his desire for us this morning. Chapter 9, verse 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Melchizedek, Hatush, Shebaniah, Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathoth, Baruch, Mashalom, Abijah, Majamin, Maaziah, Biljai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. And the Levites, Yeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, of the sons of Hanadad, Kadmiel, and the brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Peliah, Hanan, Mika, Rahab, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hadiah, Bani, Baninu, the chiefs of the people, Parash, Pahath Moab, Alam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Azgad, Benbai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Atur, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashum, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nabai, Magpiaish, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshezabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohash, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maaseya, Ahaya, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, Ba'ana. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, words that are understandable. Huh? <laughs> we praise the Lord for understanding the words. The gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have spread themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell... We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burn offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God. 
according to our fathers' houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year of the house of the Lord, also to bring the house of our God to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every year, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our towns and where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the, of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, the gatekeepers, and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us and convince us of the good that you have for us to walk in as we obey you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a culture that devalues commitment. If you follow uh, any type of college sports, specifically college football, there is something called the transfer portal. That when a player is unsatisfied with his or her playing ability and time on the field, they can enter the transfer portal and go to a different school and play right away. It used to be not be that way because you had to wait a year for eligibility to carry over into the new setting. Now, you have no idea, even in college, who the next team is going to be. You used to be able to see the same name for three or four years at, this, at those positions, but now it's all over the place. But it's all about a it's a culture of, no, I need to do this right now. What's best for me right now? But even in more serious, uh, I'm just annoyed by the transfer portal, as you can tell. But we live in a culture that devalues the most important commitment on this earth, and that's marriage. More and more, you see cohabitation being the norm, rather than the commitment that says, no, I'm going to give up my life for you. Uh, you may have heard it before, somebody saying to you, well, if we love each other, why do we need a piece of paper to tell us that we love one another? We love one another, so we're just going to commit our lives together. To which, if anybody ever says that, you can respond this way. Hey, I, I don't think you love each other enough. What are you talking about? We know we love each other. All right, then close the back door on the marriage. Don't have an escape route. Don't have an eject button. You know how you do that? You commit yourself in marriage. And you wear a wedding band that tells everybody else, no, I'm reserved for one person. But we live in a culture that's taking this commitment level, which is the most important commitment level on this earth outside of our relationship with the Lord. Because it's a picture of his commitment to us. Because in our relationship with God, we, we don't have to have the thought that maybe sort of God just going to get irritated with me one day and just walk out the back door and never see me again. But we live around non-commitment and we, everything in our culture is instant gratification. Now, we've, we've watched in the past 
couple years since COVID, we've watched, really, I'd say the past 20 years, we have watched commitment to the gathered church devalued. It's harder and harder to get commitments from church members. And there's a, a continual softening of the edges in our spiritual commitment. Well, maybe I just, man, it's just a little too zealous or don't really, God really doesn't, we kind of, we shave the edges off what we know is what God's called us to, to do to obey. The chapter today has some serious teeth in it. And as much as we all would be tempted to say, can we just kind of soften this? No. This chapter is about going to church and giving your money to God. It's got some teeth in it, huh? And you know me, if you've been around here a long time, uh, I, I don't like talking about money. I don't like talking about giving. I don't like talking about tithing. And that's, that's, an, that's a weakness on my part. I don't want to be, and it's because I don't want to be misunderstood by those who would hear me say something without a desire to have a follow-up conversation, maybe if there's misunderstanding, to say, okay, what, what exactly did you mean? How, how did you mean that? And so I, a lot of times, will step back from teeth just because I want to be able to have a follow-up conversation. It's just my personality. It's just kind of how I am. But look, we, we find ourselves in the same place as these returned exiles to building our healthy spirituality. There's neglect that happens in our spiritual lives. And sometimes we neglect the very things that God says are very, very important. And we have, we have uh, we've rounded the edges off of commitment to gathering to church. You should be talking to the camera probably. But you know what? We find it easy to look at a Sunday and say, you know what, it's just been a lot. Just going to take it easy. Without recognizing that when we go to church, we are more refreshed and more stirred to love God and live for God than if we're just at home doing whatever. But we, we, we put the edges off of tithing. We put the edges off of giving our first to the Lord. The word neglect um, welled up in my heart during our prayer night a couple Fridays ago. And it actually, for the first time, when I looked at the, the, the concordance in the back of the Bible, it had some really good... Usually you look up a word and you're like, nah, that's not the verse I'm looking for. No, it had actually really good verses <laughs> attached to it. But during that time, I, I realized... I didn't realize that the last verse of this chapter had we will not neglect the house of our God. I knew it was in Hebrews, and that's what I was looking for. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, therefore, one through three, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. We don't think in terms of, of neglect often enough. Are, are we, is God warning us of particular things and we're, we're taking the edges off? Is he calling us toward a greater obedience, but we, uh, I'm just more comfortable doing it my way? We have an op, there, there, there is a category of neglecting the great salvation that we have. 
that we have to pay attention to. And there's warnings in the rest of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now look, I'm a pastor and I love you and I love God's people. I want this place to be full, to overflowing every single Sunday. Now, that's not because I need this weird affirmation because I see a lot of people in front of me. That's, that's not it. Because you remember, if you were part of the church during COVID, my, I don't think my preaching changed, right? There was nobody in here when I was preaching. I, I would record my messages on Saturday night and upload them for everybody to watch on Sunday mornings. I, I love, because I was thinking about you. I was thinking about who was listening Why do we want this church full? Because people are broken and they're hurting and the healing that comes when they need the encouragement that comes when we're with one another. The Christian life was not meant to be done in isolation because you know what happens in isolation? He who uh, isolates himself, Proverbs 18, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Look, then second phrase, and breaks out against all sound judgment. That means this, when we're alone, we believe ourselves too much. And we start to make too much sense to ourselves. Like, (laughs) yeah, I had that thought. That's a really good thought. And everybody needs to agree with me. Now, we need to be around one another. Why? To stir up one another to love and good works. But that's what we have to value. We have to value the the encouragement. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is about reminding ourselves that this is not our home. We have heaven as our home and we can't wait to get there. Amen? Amen? We cannot wait to get there. And we want to make sure that we have a faith level that's operating in everybody that we're interacting with that's going to get them there. And we're not going to be deceived into a faith level that we we are uh, inventing a faith that we think God is going to be appealed, uh, will appeal to his good nature, just kind of let us in. No, he says, trust Jesus with everything. So church, we trust him with everything and our interaction with one another is about saying, do you trust him? Do you trust him greater than your circumstance, greater than your broken relationship, greater than your lack of of the money that you want? Do you trust him? That's what we do when we're together. But then look, Hebrews 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entered, uh, entertained angels unawares. It's a great word, unawares. Remember those who are in prison, those in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also of the body. Look, I think this is still, don't neglect these things. Don't neglect hospitality. Don't neglect those in prison suffering for their faith because you are in the same body. Don't neglect the marriage bed, but keep it holy. Keep it undefiled. And look, don't neglect the love of that you have for God because money is right there. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same, look, this is New Testament stuff. So it, there's, A.W. Tozer said, the New Testament principles that we have find their greatest examples in the Old Testament. And that's what I think we have connecting here. 
These are also warnings to not turn inward in our spiritual focus and life. We're called to be the body of Christ, fitted together with one another, so the image of the glory of God shines through us in all respects. It's a call for obedience that we have today. That's the very same thing to the call to obedience that they were gathering with in chapter 10. So look, just a few observations uh, from this chapter 1 is that they set themselves apart for God's glory. We live life for something bigger than ourselves. A book I was reading by a pastor uh, in Nashville, his name is Scott Sauls, uh, wrote a book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And he came to one point, and it's just refreshing to hear him say it very bluntly. He realized that he wasn't called to be awesome. It's like, you know what? That's what all of us need to hear. We're not called to be awesome. We're called to reflect Jesus in everything that we say and do and live. But we live for something bigger than ourselves. Too often we're trying to build our own kingdoms rather than God's kingdom. The people, they gather together in this chapter to express their desire to live for God. And they they separate themselves from what will distract them from living for God. They separate themselves, a biblical concept we see in the New Testament, because we're saved from darkness and we're into light, separation. And we're made holy by the presence of God. And it's, it's a holiness that's by designation. God calls us holy. It's not an effort holiness that we have to gain more, more, be more and more like Jesus in our behavior. No, this is a designation. Ephesians 1.4 reminds us of that. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Don't immediately think behavior. No, that we should be called holy. God says to everybody who trusts him in faith, you are holy, you are set apart, you are consecrated to be mine. Because now we're known by his name. We're known by his greatness. Consecration is the response when our hearts are renewed by the love and grace of God we see in the word and we experience in prayer and celebrate in worship. I don't know if if you did resolutions this year. I don't know if you still are doing them. (laughs) Did you last this long? Congratulations if you did. Fantastic job. In many ways, I just stopped making resolutions. But our resolutions, are they helpful? Are they appropriate? Jonathan Edwards, uh, pastor in the 1700s in New England, he he came up with, in his early 20s, mid-20s, he came up with 70 resolutions of how he was going to live life. Is that helpful for us? Because usually, is that just adding another law that just stares over us and tells us that we're not? That we're just a bunch of bums, not able to do anything. That's what our, res- our New Year's resolutions sometimes feel that way, because we don't have the endurance to last. But look, this, this desire to commit ourselves to obedience is a good desire. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says that, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. There's a responsibility that's inherent there. That we're, we're supposed to commit ourselves to the Lord, trusting he's the one doing all the work in us as we're cooperating with him. But how do, we, how do we do this? They made this firm covenant where then they are saying, they're calling curses on themselves as they make an oath. Meaning that if they break it, they are cursed. Well, how, do, how do we understand that? Is it bad to make bold 
declarative statements in our walks with God. It's not bad. The problem becomes when we take our resolutions that flow from a heart that's just renewed. I just, I love God. I want to be pure for God. I want to love God and just, just separate myself and trust him. When these resolutions and our desire of what we think we should be replaces our experience of God's love, it just becomes another set of commandments that condemns us. But we're free from those commandments because of Jesus' death. When we depend on our performance to God and for God as the standard of our experience with God, we will miss God. So when, when we depend on our performance, we place this barrier, God, in order for me to experience your love, I need to do all of these things. God's never doing that. He's saying, why, why are you putting this stumbling block in your way? You have my love. So we, we want to love God, but we have to understand that we don't set up a list of rules and think that's going to help us get there. That's what we've been discussing. Discussing and studying is discussing. If you didn't know that. We, I wish, maybe I should have been born in Germany because you can make up words in German. You just make them up and give them a definition. Goodness. The Lord's wise ways of keeping me humble. <laughs> he has given us all that he is and all that he has in the presence of his spirit inside of us. There's, not, there's nothing more that we can get. There's more that we realize and mature. I was going to say, this is what we've been discussing in our study on, on Wednesday mornings with the men, Sunday evenings with the ladies. See, our use of resolutions and commitments and vows should not become our own personal commandment system set in stone. It's misplaced. We should have resolutions to be like Jesus. I want to resolve to be like Jesus, but that means this. I want to love Jesus. I want to be merciful like Jesus. I want to stand for righteousness like Jesus. I want to trust like Jesus. We just seek to reflect him. So there's a, there's a set apart that's happening, but there's also a relational dependence that's occurring. That's why they list all the names. But it's not simply the names. They said, look, in verse 28, the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the people. And there's, oh, look, and the end of that verse, all who have knowledge and understanding. That meant kids, too. All who had knowledge and understanding. They were declaring they had a relational dependence in order to achieve living for God and walking with him. And that's how God designs it. Our goal of living for Jesus will never play, take place and be achieved in isolation. We have the Spirit in us to transform us, but we need the Spirit that also dwells in other believers to help transform us. Yeah, we have all of the Spirit, but there's different aspects of how you interact with the Spirit that will then encourage somebody else and stir up love for God and good deeds for Him and toward others. We are to be interconnected for this encouragement. God works... God's good works are stirred up when we're meaningfully connected with the people of God. They list the religious leaders, but everybody signed this covenant. That was a long piece of paper. Today, uh, in the New Testament, New Covenant realm, uh, baptism is typically the signing of the covenant with the church. Around the world, when there's, where there's persecution, when you're baptized... 
That's a life change experience. When you are declaring publicly that you are with Jesus, in Muslim countries, it means that you don't have a family anymore. Serious things. We don't, ex- we don't experience that same tension in our context within this country. That's why we have a church covenant. So if you uh, are interested in, in becoming a member of our church, we go through, like, we want you to be baptized, absolutely, because we'll obey the scriptures, but we have to outline, like, what does it mean to be a covenant member of the church? What, is, what are we promising to one another, and what are the leaders promising? A, a church covenant outlines who we will be together toward one another in our, in our pursuit of Jesus' glory. Now, the blessing of obedience flows through the body of Christ. It's connected there. The cures, or curses rather, that were agreed upon, they don't translate equally to our experience. We're not trying, we don't curse one another. Sadly, too many Christians, and maybe your experience in, uh, in, in a context of church has been somebody has cursed you, just told, shamed you, told you you were wrong. How could you? That's bad. And, it's, and it It hurts. When somebody's, somebody's expectation of you is not met and they let you know that your ex, their expectation is not met, uh, that feels like a curse, doesn't it? And that's very inappropriate for the people of God. But there are warnings that we want to pay attention to. We want to have a direction. We want to do what God says to do. And so they, they got together and they were committed to a spiritual formation. They are removing relationships from their lives that are tearing them down and distracting them. And in their context, it was the intermarriage uh, of foreign nations because they served other gods. And back then, uh, your service of God was attached to the land that you lived in. When you lived in a land, you honored that God. And so God setting that up is not just, she's not just being miserly. He wants to preserve the inheritance of his people. So he says, look, if you marry somebody from another country, that means that country will have claim on your land. We don't want that. We want this to be preserved. Now, in a New Testament context, that means make sure that the relationships that we have don't give uh, give undue influence to people who have no inheritance with God and we're giving them access and authority in our lives. Well, wait, God says, hold on a second. Your heart is mine. My spirit is there. Don't give it away. And so there are oftentimes, we, we, there are some people that you just need to avoid because they, you know, the new word is toxic. That happens. You just need to avoid somebody because it's bad. But most of the time, it means that we need to be strategic in our relationships so the gospel has the authority and, and God has the authority in that relationship. We're not giving that away to anyone. But it also meant a spiritual formation in the family. We're not going to give our children away to people who don't serve God. Now, even within the, our cultural context of devaluing commitment, uh, the church can do much better in this. You know, when, when our kids, our two oldest daughters got married young, everybody looked at us like, wow, it's a little young to be getting married, right? Uh, it's actually, no, cult- like historically speaking, it's late. Historically, over the thousands of years of human existence, uh, usually they got married, people got married in their late teens, on average. You started being a woman, oh, you can have a baby now. Let's get you married. 
Now, that happened later on. Now, I get in, I'm in the weeds now. But they got married young. So you get married at 23, 22 and 23 is a little late, historically speaking. But now it's like, whoa, you got to make sure you're compatible. You got to make sure everything works right. You got, like, have you ever heard of it not working right? No, it works just fine. When two people are committed in a sacrificial love that lays down their life for the other person, that's when it works. And God has to be, God has to be on the throne of that relationship. But in, in family settings, this is, we want to guard the deposit that God's made on us, and we want to guard it in our children. I remember uh, just through the years as a pastor, meeting with people, uh, uh, parents expressing like, well, I, I mean, I just hope my kids find a Christian to marry. And I've challenged that thought because they say, hold on a second. You, you have influence in this on purpose. You're supposed to make sure, a parent's responsibility is to make sure that, that that child has every opportunity to respond to God when God calls that child's name for salvation. And we want to do that. We're committed to that as the body of believers. But that doesn't end there. No, you still help guide your child to find someone that's a believer, to find somebody that's a Christian. That's not released. That's not, well, you know, you just got to hope something, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you still have influence on purpose. Now, you, as children grow up, that 18, 19, 20, or 17, 18, 19, I would say, there's a transition that's happening, and, and teenagers and parents, it's both awkward because you're moving from authority to influence, and you don't want to, on either party, you don't want to sabotage that and start throwing bombs in it to where you have no relationship. And that's typically what happens when you get mad. you got to do it my way, you live in my house. I'm never doing anything your way. That's what's too common. But in that transition, it needs to be, all right, in this transition, how do we, and we've been honest with our kids, like, hey, just been the girls at this point. Oh, and in a few years, like, we have fumbled through this with your older sisters. We'll probably still fumble through it, but we recognize that's the tension that you're feeling and want to be able to keep communication open because we're not going to be your authority when you're 22, 23, 24, but we want to maintain a relationship so we're an influence. So you still want to have an influence and train up your children to be looking. This oh, that sweet Maria looking. Are you a Christian? We've got to be bold and ask those questions too. Are you a Christian? Because that's, that's how God brings us together. All right, the, the fourth observation is a recognition of reliance. And this is with the Sabbath. They pledged not to neglect the Sabbath. This seems like, oh, okay, take a day off. Okay, cool. This is much more than that. They are saying we will not make our lives better commercially on the Sabbath. We will not make money on the Sabbath. It's an interesting concept. They would rest from their work as a reminder of their ultimate reliance upon God. And you know, typically in the Jewish community, every Sabbath that begins at sundown on Friday, it's when you went to church. You had church. So they're saying, we're going to honor that. Not only are we not going to work and be productive and benefit from that, we're going to put all of that down just to simply say, God, we trust you and we enjoy what you've given us. Taking a moment to enjoy that. But also saying this, we're going to go to church. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go to church with one another. They pledged to honor the Sabbath year, which was every seven years. 
And they, they pledged to honor the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years by canceling all debts. We will not exact debts. That's what they're saying. We're going to do things. We're going to do God's things God's way and not try to keep on thinking that we can change him and he's going to be okay with it. You know, this neglect of the Sabbath was a big reason and why God kicked them out of the promised land. Second Chronicles 36. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. The people of God were still tilling the ground. And they didn't give the land rest. Because they didn't, want, they didn't trust God with everything. So remember, 70 years... That should have happened every seven years. Seventy years is the culmination of all these seven years that have been brought together. And God says the land's going to rest. So when you multiply 70 times seven, what number do you get? The number of times Jesus said you need to forgive somebody to Peter. Is it 490? Well, that's how long God forgave his people. Until he said, enough. The land needs to rest. They pledged to honor him because they wanted God to be first. And then they pledged a financial responsibility. We're going to obligate ourselves to do with our finances what God said to do and trust that he will continue to bless us. They would not neglect what God says is needed to support the people of God meeting together for church. And so we're going we're gonna to support the priests in our context, support the pastors and support. They were supporting the sacrifices and, and supporting the gatherings that were brought together. They're bringing, they're bringing their first fruits, one so the priests can, and the Levites can be provided for. But they're also they're doing that to provide for those who are poor, who are coming in and don't have money for a sacrifice. They're bringing extra. Hey, we want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to worship the Lord, as he said. And what I really enjoy is that the priest will take the tithe of the tithe. So I, I, I hope every year, and it, we've been able to do it in our church's existence, that we give outside of ourselves at least 10%. My goal is to hopefully do 25% as a church. That we are, we are just sowing into the gospel effectiveness around the world and our connections with who we have around the world. But we, we want to at least do, how do we, we give away 5%? We're supporting other people. And by God's wonderful grace, we've been able to do that. So it's a tithe of the tithe. But we all need to bring this to bear in our hearts. Are we really bringing our best? Are we bringing the first? I heard somebody say one time that uh, you know you're giving enough to the Lord. If it hurts. If it's comfortable, it's probably not enough. So I want us all, really, by God's design, because we're in this, to really examine, are we obeying the Lord? Not just showing up. Yes, we want to show up. But the investment that we're making in our relationships with one another, are, are, is it pleasing to the Lord? Are we neglecting it? And is our giving pleasing to the Lord? Or are we neglecting something? Are we, we relying upon ourselves or our bank account in a way that we should be saying, God, here, I want to rely on you with everything. We want to commit to obey. But here's the thing. Whenever we do this, the devil himself will be ready to bring something to you that will try to wreck your resolve. But we need to be okay in that moment. Say, God... I trust you. 
I recognize the attack, but God, I trust you. I trust your goodness. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we ask that we would feel... God, what are my what are words am I needing to express my heart? Uh, we would feel discomfort if we need to. In order for our lives to be lived in a way that matches complete surrender and trust in you. God, I pray you would bless us in our obedience. You would bless us in our commitment to one another. And I pray, Lord, that this, as we've always prayed, this would be a family that is safe for people to come and find a place in, to be known and to serve and to love. And God, we ask that you would do amazing things in our finances as we put you first. And we would see your provision show up in ways that we would have never imagined before as we live upon you because you're the living God. We love you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be reminded of our commission, as always. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless us. Dean and Claire will be in the back if you have questions for them.